0: Hello, and welcome to this podcast presented by the Southern Alberta Council on Public Affairs.
1: that this and other sessions are available on the SACPA website at www.sacpaw.ca, and we also have a blog which you can contribute your com- comments to, to keep the conversation going into the future. Um, we have a suggestion box out in the hallway as well, um, if you'd prefer to uh, leave your comments and ideas uh, that way. Um, Judith was kind enough to bring uh, a bunch of reading material along with her. And there are copies of this uh, brochure just out in the lobby as well. So feel free to pick this up um, for more information uh, on the talk today. I would like to remind everyone that next week's talk is on the Cooley Corridor, um, a pedestrian bridge for Lethbridge, maybe in the future. Uh, The speaker is Ron Bain, and uh, we look forward to that next Thursday. We have a microphone set up on this side of the room. Please state your name and keep your comments brief. Maybe ask one or two questions, and you may return to your seat when you are finished asking your questions. So without any further ado, we will get our question period up and going with Judith. Thank
2: you.
0: Terry Schellington, thank you very much uh, for your presentation, and I'm quite impressed with the uh, amount of scholarly work done on, um, on a wildfire. Thank you. Uh, it's nice to know that uh, that expertise is, uh, is gathering. I'd like to ask about an aspect of this which you did not address, and maybe you'll think it's irrelevant. But uh, when Katrina uh, rolled through uh, New Orleans... It very quickly became a politicized issue, and, uh, and it seemed to be one of the burdens that George Bush had to carry into the next election that the, the government response appeared to be uh, modest at best, and uh, at least was perceived to be. Uh, I, didn't, I wasn't aware of any political issues around the wildfire, and maybe you'd comment on that. I presume it's a provincial uh, uh, area of, uh, of response. Mm-hmm. And uh, how would you grade the, uh, the response of the province?
2: Mm-hmm. <coughs> okay, very good question. Thank you. So a couple things I'll mention. First, it, you're right, it is a provincial issue, but it's also a local issue. All local communities are required to have a disaster plan that they can just roll out and, and carry forward with. And certainly Slave Lake had that. I think it causes us all to pause and make sure we understand the disaster plan for our own community and what we can do and, and make sure, and I keep saying this to people, make sure you have your 72-hour grab-and-go bag so that you can actually leave your, your house and have things. So that's another important thing to consider as well. I think that the provincial government responded very quickly. I think they did it very efficiently. They certainly they did it in different ways. They did it financially. They did a lot of things like they... Um, uh, they waived property taxes for individuals in Slave Lake uh, the year of the fire to help people out financially. That's a very good thing to do. Uh, they have provided um, additional funding for FireSmart, which, of course, is clearing the bush, but it's not just clearing the bush. It's making sure people are aware of FireSmart programming. They've given a reduction um, for people that use fire smart materials in the rebuilding of their home, whether it be roofing materials or siding or whatever. So they've given people financial cuts and breaks on that. That's a very good thing to do. Locally, they created what's called the tri council. The tri council is the three governments: Sawridge First Nations, the MD, and the town. They meet every single month. It's uh, it's chaired by a non-elected um, individual. And the people get together to talk about the recovery of the fire. So that's the group that would get together to talk about the temporary housing and how that was going to roll out and all those things. Uh, For the first time ever, the insurance companies and the Insurance Bureau of Canada sat down together with local officials and the government to figure out how they were going to work together. So I think there's a lot of really good positive ways that they did work together. So I, I would rate it very high in that regard. Um, I did mention to the table that I was sitting with at lunch that there were issues, and there continue to be issues. And the one of the most um, issues that is talked about most often is the issue of the basement cleanup. A decision had been made by uh, with their local disaster recovery and with outside discussion and expertise, that uh, the basement should only be cleaned up by officials and people that wore you know, um, certain clothing to make sure that they didn't get toxins and etc. cetera. And it was made for two reasons. They wanted to make sure people weren't exposed to toxic substances, and they also wanted to ensure that there were no bodies found because they really didn't know if there were bodies found. There was a body found in one area of town that was burnt, uh, but the person did not die due to the fire. The person had died and then was burnt afterwards. The only fatality in this uh, fire is the helicopter pilot who died five days after the fire. Um, So anyway, the basement cleanup was a real issue because people felt like they they would have preferred to have taken the risk of chemical contamination to go through their stuff. They really don't believe that things burnt as well as the town officials told them, and they're still upset about it. And so I think one of the, the ways that we're going to find out how they really did in all of this is the election next year because in fall of 2013 will be the election of the mayor and the council and ND, etc. So that may be some telling. I mean, I, I certainly went to town hall meetings where people were very upset with the town council. Um, but, you know, this was a, a phenomenal experience in terms of what this town had to do, in terms of how do you even make criteria for who gets temporary housing for a second and third, and how do you do that. And so in case you're interested, they did it by essential services. So those people in essential services that lost their home had top priority. So those were the physicians, the social workers, the nurses, the firefighters, the SRD, and the um, psychologists and so on. I hope I answered your question.
3: Thank you, Judith, for a very um, important presentation that you've made to us today. And one of the things that we discussed at our table were were reactions um, to the ice storm in Quebec, for example, things that happened. And what I would like to ask is, has there been, have you seen efforts to increase a coordinated plan to deal with a variety of emergencies throughout all of Alberta. Uh, now, you've been talking about, in answering the last question, a number of initiatives of things that were done, particularly at the local level. Do, but we do we have some kind of overall coordination plan to really deal with emergencies, whether it's fire or what it happens to be in Alberta?
2: Mm-hmm. Thank you for the question. Well, we, you should be aware by now of the Alberta alert system, the emergency alert system that goes uh, online and through the radio and um, TV and so on. And that, of course, was created post-Slave Lake. And that was a system that they had planned to put out anyway. It just came out after Slave Lake occurred. So that's one thing that they've done. Um, as I said, there is um, disaster plans that are expected to be there, and so the expectation is that that plan is going to address any kind of disaster. And then depending upon the disaster and the result, then you would make specific plans for recovery and for how you cope with it. And each community is required to have a recovery team that works um, together. The, Municipal Affairs, uh, the Ministry of Municipal Affairs has within it the AEMA, which is the Alberta Emergency Management Agency, and that's now headed by Colin Lloyd. And I've had a number of talks with Colin Lloyd. They're having their annual summit coming up mid-November. I'm speaking at that. And uh, they are always available to help communities. And they have officers. They have people designated to go out and help. Um, and certainly uh, in the Slave Lake fire, they had people from all over this province that showed up to help people out in terms of how to address the issues. And in addition, the people there took the initiative to call other communities that had dealt with issues. So the fire chief at Slave Lake, they actually have a paid position for a fire chief, have, have had one for a number of years, and it's actually a regional fire service. So it, it addresses the town fires as well as the MD town uh, fires. They uh, actually called Kelowna, and they talked to the fire chief there. They talked to people there about what was happening, and there was a lot of connections back and forth with other communities that had dealt with fires.
4: My name is Ralph Hemsel. Thank you for an interesting presentation. Thank you. I would uh, like to know if you have any measure of uh, to what extent people might have said, who needs Slave Lake and they took off, never to return?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really good question, and, and uh, a couple things I can say. One is, there was a population within Slave Lake that were very um, heavy social service needs and uh, required a lot of assistance just to maintain their life from day to day. That population, which is about 82, were actually relocated, to Edmonton because they felt that in the community they could not manage with that group of people. So they've been relocated. And as far as I know, they have not returned. Um, I cannot get a good number on how many left. I know that if I had a, when I had a, a conversation with the local post office ladies, because we had this after we handed out our household survey, because we were trying to figure out how many people still live in Slate Lake. So we know that 100 families moved automatically right after the fire, never to return. Um, and I know that there are others that have left. There are still, I, I mean, I go back, and I see more for sale signs, and I can't get good information sometimes on why I see the for sale signs. Did they not have insurance? Did they just—did they get their insurance payout, and they just want to get rid of the lot and leave? Because, I mean, I did meet people that said, you know, I was going to leave anyway. I had planned to go somewhere else, or my kids are somewhere else, I planned to move there to retire, so I never planned to stay here. It just happened to be the fire occurred, I've lost my house, now I have to wait for the insurance check, and then I'll leave. So, you know, no one really gives you good numbers on that. But they will tell you in Slave Lake, from an economic perspective, that many more new people are in town. It is busy there. I know the one night that we were there a few weeks ago, we went out for supper... On, close to the main street and I mean it was seven in the evening and there wasn't a parking spot on Main Street and these are big expensive trucks sitting there so there are, people have come into this place to work. You're welcome.
5: Thank you very much Judith. Thank you. My name is Tad Mitsui. My question is about insurance. What kind of uh, suggestions you would make when you we read, define, print in the insurance policy. Mm -hmm. I lived through the ice storm in Quebec, uh, living in a small village outside of uh, Montreal, Chateau Valley. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of fights between people, insured and insurers. One of the examples I remember was one restaurant had all their stock in the basement. And the insurance company didn't cover it because, well, uh, let me go back a little Another disaster that hit after ice storm was a flood, because Mm -hmm. all the ice jam Mm -hmm. melted one day, Mm -hmm. and the flood came in. And this restaurant lost all the stock in the basement, because that basement had a little window. Mm. And uh, probably restaurant owner didn't read the fine line. So insurance company, you know, your basement is not fully protected. We don't pay you. So he lost all the Mm stock. So, any advice about how to read the insurance policy?
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, certainly. um, One thing I would say is make sure that your insurance policy says uh, includes debris removal. If you don't have debris removal in your policy, and you're, you lose everything, and there's a pile of a mess, it, you're on the hook for paying for all that removal. That's one example of what you have to make sure. We, we all forget, and we tend to not update our policies for the, co- the worth of our contents. Um, uh, my husband and I live in Moon River, and our MD now requires us to indicate that we have, within our insurance policy, uh, monies to cover firefighting costs. So, you know, that's another thing you might have to think about as well. So, yeah, it's very uh, difficult to know um, ahead of time sometimes if you have all the right insurance, but you're right. There are, there are three levels of insurance in house insurances. Uh, some people had the premium in Slave Lake, some did not, and some lost out, and some didn't have any. So it, w- it certainly became a problem. I want to say just as a bit of an aside but related um, barrier, which experienced the McClure fire, uh, the Barrier people, when I say Barrier, I mean all those communities because Barrier was unincorporated at the time of the fire, and there's a number of communities around there, and the fire actually started in McClure and spread to Lewis Creek and so on. But that area would not be what it is today without Mennonite Disaster Services because MDS is a nonprofit organization that rebuilds homes for people that, and buildings who lose everything in fires and other disasters. And they walked into Barrier, and and they rebuilt, and there was over 95 structures lost in that area, which is a huge amount when you think there was only a 3,000 population.
4: My name is Mark Gettle. I'm just wondering if these disasters that we've had recently will influence the building codes and I'm thinking of California, for instance. I think California has banned cedar shakes for roofs, mm-hmm. and yet when I look here in Lethbridge, right by the coolies, there's so many houses with cedar shakes mm-hmm. it's just asking for disaster and I think it would be easy to change the building codes, but have we learned anything from this fire?
2: Yeah, well, it's a good comment. I appreciate that very much, because you're right. It should change building codes. It's, you know, They're trying to use Slave Lake as an example that you need to rebuild in a different way, and that's why they're giving people these these reductions to be more fire-smart in their actual housing. But you're right, every community, I think, in this province, I would hope, has an opportunity to think about the kind of buildings and so on that are in their community and what is safe and what is it's not and, and how they can attend to it.
6: Now, my name is Van Christou. Thank you so, so much, uh, Judith, for uh, for uh, a very brilliant presentation of, of an important uh, topic. When I heard about the fire, personally, I'll just uh, express this personally my first uh, reaction to it was you know, there'll be a tremendous loss cost wise, uh, thinking about uh, the the financial, uh, economic uh, aspect, but uh, your work has uh, has has really concentrated a great deal on the more important part of, of what happens from these disasters, and that is the human uh, effects and and costs. Um, and I'm so glad to see that your that your research has brought to people information in that direction. Uh, can you tell us what? What are your sources for, for the research you did? And, and uh, was it funded adequately? And are you happy in that respect?
2: Mm-hmm. Well, we were approached by the Alberta government about the, uh, their interest in us doing a study. And they said, if we did, uh, they, would, um, they would help us get some money from within government. And so in this province, there's an organization called the Alberta Center for Child, Family, and Community Research. So mm-hmm. we had $40,000 from them. And then the government gave us $60,000 and then we got another $5,000 from what's called the In- Institute of Catastrophic Loss Reduction, which is related, it's an arm, not an arm of the insurance agency, but it's funded by insurance agencies to help people understand about disasters. So we were funded by those agencies, came through very, very quickly, uh, and the study is completed. So I'm very happy with all of that and um, you know, I look forward to continuing to talk to groups like this and to ministries and so on about our findings. So
4: did I answer all of your questions? Yeah, thank you. My name is uh, Knut Peterson. Thanks very much, Judith. Uh, we've had two close calls in Lappland within the last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you think, do you think it affects people just as bad having close calls as uh, actually?
2: Happening? Mm, yeah, it's a really good question, and, and who knows? I've been told about a family from Slave Lake that moved from Slave Lake to the west side of Lethbridge and has been evacuated twice since they've been here. So that poor family has been evacuated three times um, in 18 months or whatever it is. So, you know, it's hard to say because sometimes the anticipation of what could go wrong is, is what can feed our anxiety. We know this from disaster research, that there's what is referred to as a ruminating personality, which means that people worry, and they ruminate, and they can't get off the topic. And we know from disaster research that people that ruminate don't do well in disasters. They don't pick up the pieces and move forward. And um, so it might be that those ruminators that live on the west side of Lethbridge or wherever they're living in this town where there are um, concerns about wildfire might be actually having more anxiety around it. It's hard to say. We know this, that wildfires are on the rise. They affect over 250,000 people in our country every single year. We know that they're on the rise for climate change and the global warming and the kind of different winters we have, and they are a real concern. And I can't emphasize enough the importance of understanding the disaster plan for your community and having a grab-and-go bag being ready, making sure copies of your passports and your medications and all the important things are in there, uh, extra hard drive uh, that's backing up your computer that you can grab and go. Because the people of Slave Lake literally did have less than an hour, and that's all they had.
1: I'll jump in. I'll jump in with a quick question. you talked about um, this idea of resiliency and having a, a resilient community mm-hmm. at the arts outset before the fire being a major um, contributor to Slave Lake being able to recover after this disaster um, thinking about Lethbridge and our close calls um, you know do you have a sense of what Lethbridge's resiliency score would be or how we would fare? do you think, um, under those conditions?
2: Mm -hmm. Well, you know, resiliency is about sense of attachment, sense of belonging, people getting along, people working together, having solidarity. So, I mean, I would say that Lethbridge does exhibit some of those characteristics, which helps them to move forward as well.
3: Mm -hmm. Hi, I'm Lorna Brown, and thank you very much for a very interesting presentation. One of the things that you've mentioned twice, and I heard about it at our table because we were very lucky who we had sitting there, was the grab-and-go bag or the 72-hour bag. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I I had a bit of that already prepared, but most of us, I don't suppose, know about it. Mm -hmm. Could you elaborate on it? And how can people be informed of this in some way? Right.
2: Okay, good question. So the Red Cross... Uh, which has a really good web page, uh, talks about needing a grab-and-go bag, and the essentials in that 72-hour bag that will help you you and your family survive for three days in terms of food, water, clothing, um, all your important documents. So if you went to our web page, which is just ruralwildfire.ca, you will actually find a link there to the Red Cross page and to the information about grab-and-go bags. Um I was talking with uh, people last week at the Wildlands Conference and we were asked a question around, you know, how do you get people to change behaviour? Because you know, last, this spring, March, when I was in Slave Lake, we asked people in the audience, how many of you have a grab-and-go bag? Nobody put up their hand. So the reality is that behaviours don't change. And so I think it would be really interesting to do some education with kids in schools about grab-and-go bags. Now is a good time in Lethbridge because of the wildfires that have occurred here. And have the kids influence their parents. As to what they need to have in their home. And have some of the, if we think about the recycle movement, it was the kids affecting parents, is how recycling came across. So that's really what I would say to you is go to the Red Page or go to the Red Cross webpage. There's a whole list of materials they suggest you put in that bag. Have it in a place where you can get it quickly and get out the door.
4: Uh, uh, we'd be amiss if old well, Frank didn't get up to the mic here. <laughs> but anyway, uh, your story brought a horror in my mind instantly. Two months ago, we had a three-alarm, smoke alarm, go off at 1.30 in the morning. You talk about fright. I have a wife with dementia, uh, and uh, that's the extra load. The fire people came did a beautiful, beautiful job. They even replaced the electric ones with, with it, because it turned on again at 2.30 in the morning. But anyway, your your elaborate speech is is is, is reassuring. But
0: uh,
4: what what questions are we asking? What is a remedy? A community like that cannot afford aircraft that 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 uh, that uh, would step in fast and uh, and uh, and uh, help eliminate you know the travel of the fire. Our, our, our treasurer, the headline in yesterday's paper is Do We Borrow Money in the sh- Kingdom of Alberta? Do we have to borrow money? He announced four days ago that it we, well, looks like we're going to be another three and a third billion dollars in the red this month. What lessons do we get out of this? That community, that small can't afford. It doesn't matter if you've got relations between you know those distant towns up there. What lessons uh, is the is a province, uh, uh, you know, going to take out of this? Can they supply more uh, immediate uh, or or fire alarm setups out there? Uh, the forestry people have the the scouts up on the up in the hills, what have you?
2: Mm-hmm. Have
4: they promised anything because of this towards uh, you know the life of these people?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd have to go back to the flat top, what's called a flat top complex uh, review, uh, which was done on the fires to see what recommendations they've made for forestry and so on. Slave Lake is actually an airport with bombers, water bombers sitting there all the time. The problem with the fire was the winds and they had to ground the planes because at 114 kilometers an hour, you can't fly them. So that that was the challenge there. But you're absolutely right. Where does the money come from and and how do we put our money into prevention and making sure that people have a disaster plan, have a grab and go bag, uh, know what the resources are build those communities because when it comes right down to that final evacuation and getting out of town it's about common sense it's about knowing where your exits are and acting calmly and getting out and certainly people in slave lake talk a lot about how calm and decent people were during that evacuation period uh, but you're right, and, and what are some of the other things that we can do in terms of um, controlling for wildfires? We can not control the pine beetle. We know it's here. We've done our best, I think, in some ways. There's been a lot of government money put in to address it, but the reality is they've attacked the trees, and if we don't have a, a harsh winter, then they continue to survive, and then they continue to breed and move forward. So there's a lot of climate issues out there that we can't address. There's only certain things that we can control as individuals and as families.
1: We have, time. we have time for one more question, if there's one from the floor. No takers. Well, thank you very much, Judith, you. for your presentation today. Uh, we certainly appreciate you being here. Okay, thanks very much.